You're listening to the Personal Profitability Podcast, where you'll learn how to earn income, live better, and put your money to work for you. Here's your guide on your path to personal profitability, Eric Rosenberg. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome back to the Personal Profitability Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Eric Rosenberg, and I'm really, really excited about the guest we have on the line today. Um, This guest is someone who I met at the very first FinCon before it was even called FinCon. And I'm really lucky and proud to have uh, have become friends with him over the years. And he's been a huge influence in my success and in everything I've done. And of course, I'm speaking of no other than the man, the myth, the legend himself, PT Money, Philip Taylor. Say hello to everybody. Hello. Wow. What an intro, man. I'm excited. And I got to pump you up. You are the guy. You are Mr. FinCon. <laughs> you know, I, I talk about FinCon on just about every episode. I'm sure the listeners are like, oh, yeah, FinCon again, FinCon again. Well, here is the guy who founded FinCon. He's the one who brought us all together. Um, he's the one who, who gave me the opportunity to speak this last year at FinCon in San Diego. And I'm super pumped to see him again at this upcoming, uh, this upcoming fall for FinCon in Dallas. Yeah. But before PT was a conference planner, he had a very different background, a very different history that looked actually a lot like mine. You know, we, we sat in gray cubicles and did things. So. Uh, could you share with everybody how you started out in your career and, and ended up as an accountant? Yeah. Yeah. So my dad's a CPA. And so I kind of came up seeing that business and that that thing uh, and, and thinking, oh, maybe I could do that. But I really didn't want to. So I tried to go into engineering and that didn't really work. I got a business scholarship. And then I took my first accounting course and like aced it. I was like, oh, I guess I'm destined for this thing. Well, because you're like around so it start- growing up. It's like, oh, well, I already know debits and credits, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was. It came natural to me. So, you know, when you're good at something, it's uh, easy to be attracted to it and uh, want to do it. So, that's kind of where I found myself pursuing an accounting degree and then getting the CPA. I uh, worked for a different, lots of different ways you can be an accountant. So, I worked for uh, big big accounting firms, public accounting firms, small ones, medium-sized ones. I worked on the internal audit side. And so I tried it all, man, and I really just never really found something that worked for me. So I was kind of left wanting. But um, you know, the, the you internal know, audit people having come from corporate finance before I went online, I have to mm-hmm. say, I, I always like the people, but I hate their job. I, mm-hmm. Like anytime you get an email or a call or they knock on your door, you're like, oh, audit's here. What do I have to come up with now? It was like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you, unfortunately, yeah, it, being having to stop down and, and uh, account for what you've done and why you've done it and all that is not typically part of a job process, the description they describe to you. But it's, it should be you know, a part of your normal function, but right. it's always a surprise and it always interrupts folks' work. So, yeah, I was always the, always the bearer of bad news. So I always tried to be a nice guy. And, Win them over, kill them with kindness, and win them over with donuts or cookies or some other treat to make it uh, less of a less of a negative experience. But yeah, so a ten years total, I think, in the accounting and finance uh, career, enjoyed you know that time. You got to travel a lot, uh, got to work for a lot of good bosses, a lot of challenging bosses, a lot of good companies and bad companies, and uh, learned some things about myself. And man, I made a heck of a lot of money. So. And I was able to save a lot of that money and prepare myself for entrepreneurship like I think I wouldn't have been able to do if I'd have done something like that right out of the gate. 
Now, there's a lot of lessons. Like I, I realized, you know, looking around the FinCon community, the, the many of us now who have left our day jobs to go online and pursue online businesses, there's a good chunk of people who've come out of different you know, accounting or financial advising or finance type backgrounds, even some more unique backgrounds out there too. Um, but it's cool that everyone draws on those experiences. So, you know, I, I, like I don't look back and regret having you know, worked as a bank manager and then an accountant and then a finance guy and in treasury because that taught me so much that I really still use and draw on today. Do you find that, that same experience regularly? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, with, uh, you know, the working for accounting firms, I got to study businesses, you know, and understand how businesses work, all different kinds, small, medium sized, big businesses. So you're getting to learn a lot about how just business works in general. And I find my, I found myself saying, wow, that would be a cool thing to own. Ooh, that'd be a cool business to start. Or here's what I would do to make more money with that business. And so I think if, you know, if you're in that same situation, you find yourself saying that a lot. Well, Maybe that's what you should try to pursue instead of trying to become the, you know, the, uh, uh, the head guy at the accounting firm, the partner. So um, that's that's that was kind of the big lesson for me was wow, I really enjoy like looking at business from all different angles, and it'd be cool to own one one day. But, yeah, now look at you you you've you've built several businesses. You know something yeah. uh, something interesting. Uh, just a final point on accounting. Um, you know, I I was actually an accidental accountant. My uh, my first job after college, I was at a as a I was at a bank as a manager. I wasn't there all that long, but I learned a ton. And then I moved on to um, to a, a big telecom company. I was hired as a financial analyst, but it turned out I was about seventy five percent accounting, twenty five percent finance. Mm-hmm. And uh, after about a year and change there, I got promoted, and they said, "Well, let's just call you what you are." And I was a senior general accountant. So without an accounting <laughs> degree, I was a senior accountant, and uh, that, that was an interesting way to to launch my career. <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah. my number yeah, one advice what? to any any finance or any business school student right now, if if anyone were going to say, oh, "What's my one piece of advice that you could take action on before you graduate?" Take more accounting classes because they are always valuable and always useful. Yeah, yeah, I, it's a. It's a good skill to to have, and I was honored to have it. I respect my dad and what he does with his business, his practice. He's still practicing, and uh, I respect you know highly that that de- that degree and the certification I was able to get. It didn't teach me. To be honest with you, it didn't teach me a lot about personal finance, and and that's what I think I found disappointing with my accounting and CPA and finance background was how little. It helped me really from a day-to-day money management yeah. standpoint, debt reduction standpoint, uh, wealth building standpoint. It, it did not do that for me, and uh, it taught me like if you're going to invest, how to invest, you know, properly with you know the right tax angle or whatever. If you're going to start a business, here's the sort of the way to set it up. Do you do um, your own books for your businesses, or do you hire uh, that co- out now? <laughs> coming coming up, I did, yeah, but I've gotten to a point now to where I I outsource that. Yeah. So I still do my tax return. But other than that, I don't do the business tax return. Yeah, one thing that I've, uh, you know, when you're talking about all these different personal finance skills, something that I like to think about all the time is I think about myself as a business. And I encourage you know, listeners and readers to do the same. If you think about yourself as a business rather than a person, you can look at, you know, your your income, your paycheck is just one piece of your income. You know, businesses have multiple customers, multiple income streams. Otherwise, it's not, you know, a, a safe and steady business. And as we saw, you know, one company was their only customer, more or less, was Apple. And they made the glass screens for iPhones. And Apple said one day, oh, you know what? We're going to change to a different glass mm-hmm. manufacturer. And that company went bankrupt. 
So thinking of yourself as a business, you know, if you lost your job tomorrow, would you go bankrupt? You know, tomorrow's a Friday. That's always the layoff day, right? I hope I'm not uh, giving anybody some uh, bad vibes with that. But, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's an important thing to think about yourself as a business. I think accounting does a, is a really great background for anybody to learn more about, even if you don't want to do accounting because you think it sounds dreadfully boring. It's a, it's a good thing to understand. Uh, so yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. That you should look at the balance sheet as a net worth statement for yourself, right? Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. So when you look at your it's net done. worth, look at your, your income statement and your expenses. You know, if you treat yourself like that, you're, uh, I think you're setting yourself up in a better position to succeed in the long term. Yeah. So the CEO of your personal finances. Exactly. Exactly. So, uh, so you did all this accounting. You were doing it for 10 years. You were doing well. Uh, what happened next? What, what you found this internet thing out there? What, what, how, how did that all come together? Yeah. So I was, uh, I kind of came up through the internet age, uh, graduating high school in 94 and, and college in 99 and then master's in 2000 or 2001. So internet was big in, in sort of my early education. I wanted to be a part of it. I wanted to participate in it in some way. So you got to watch the whole dot-com boom as you were. Yeah, yeah. School. Yeah. I missed out on like investing in like all that or participating directly in that. But I watched it and I was fascinated by the internet and uh, I was hooked, you know, um, on what it could offer, what I could learn, just the unlimited nature of it. So I started, like, I was at the time I was playing a, in a band, so I started like a band website. Then I was what kind of some, band? Uh, it was just a, a kind of a, a acoustic folk kind of college band thing. Cool. And uh, yeah, I just made a little website for it. So it kind of got me Did into you play the, guitar or anything. I played drums. Drums. See, I, learning new things about Phil Taylor. <laughs> yeah. Drummer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I uh, played drums and uh, was also kind of the marketer slash promoter for the band. So, I built the website. So, I was getting into this internet thing. I, I think at the time, Blogger was just starting. And uh, I started a running blog for myself, 2001-ish. And then I discovered in, in around 2003, 2004, I discovered uh, personal finance blogs online. I think Consumers and Commentary had started by then, some others. And I was just fascinated with reading these people's stories, even anonymously, who were they were talking online about how they were handling their money, the cool things they were doing. And again, it was all these things that my CPA, my accounting background wasn't necessarily teaching me. But it was like, wow, these are they're doing like radical things and like fast tracking their way to wealth and to independent financial independence. And it just had a lot of appeal. So it was really that subject matter that really pulled me into the internet and wanting to consume as much as possible. And then in 2007, I pulled the trigger and said, okay, I've done the blogging thing for the runner side. Now let's do a blog for my personal finances and kind of follow in the footsteps of these other people who uh, who shared their stories online. So 2007, was spring, I think it was around tax day that year. You beat me by a year. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah 2007, I, was, uh, I, uh, I had just started. I had a personal blog and was blogging about you know, politics in the Middle East a little bit. I'm, I'm a big Israel yeah. advocate and a family there. been there a lot of times. Uh, but it wasn't until 2008 that I, I, I saw these, um, it was actually, there were, there were a few girl finance bloggers and I have to admit, uh-huh. I might have had a little bit of a blog crush on a couple of them. And, ooh, uh, ooh. uh, and this was way back in the day. So there was, um, well healed was one that I was reading, which does, isn't around anymore. She sold that and, uh, then it was eventually shut down. So there were a, f- a few like that. And all I right. saw all these girls writing about, um, personal finance. Like, you know what? I have a finance degree. I used to work at a bank. I could do this too. That was how I started my first uh, finance yeah. blog, which uh, which became personal profitability. So, uh, 
the same time frame, but you beat me by by about a year on, uh, on <laughs> pulling the trigger and starting. So was it yeah. all? Was it called PT Money from day one? Uh, I think I called it part time money from day or no prime time money. It was called prime time money, but I didn't want that long of a URL, and for some reason PT Money was available, so I just grabbed PT Money, and uh, those were my initials, but it also stood for the prime time. Growing up. Friends used to call me Primetime based on the whole Deion Sanders. Uh, <laughs> you you get that reference? The Deion Sanders, the old ex-Cowboy 49er. He used to go by Primetime. Yeah, I knew that Deion was his like, I didn't yeah, know that yeah. was his nickname. But, yeah, it was like his rapping, monitor, rapping uh, moniker or whatever. Primetime. So, have you um, always been a Cowboys fan going way back? No, I'm a Saints fan. But, Saints fan. Yeah, but that was just kind of part of the... NFL youth culture back then was kind of the, some of these NFL stars were like also bigger celebrities. I mean, I guess there's still some of that around today, but he was, he had like, a, he was cool. He's like a multi-sport athlete. He had a rap album. I mean, this guy was everything. And uh, so... Like the in, Justin Timberlake of like 10 years ago. Yeah, a yeah, yeah. <laughs> With a little less, I think, singing talent. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, he he, um, he was kind of the motivation, I think, behind that nickname. But yeah, Primetime, that's kind of what they called me. So, Primetime Money. Awesome. Um, and then PT Money was the short URL for it. So on there, I just you know tried to share. I tried to just model what I saw. To be honest with you, a lot of the other bloggers doing, but it just put my own spin on it and try to have a unique voice. I wasn't a writer necessarily, so it was a struggle for me to produce content initially and to come up with ideas and write significant articles on them. But I took it as an opportunity to learn as I went along and just expose it all and put it all out there. And if it was bad or good, so be it. And it got better over time, thankfully. That's awesome. So when you started, you know, obviously day one, you you had a million readers, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, so how what was your uh, what was your strategy like to to grow your website? You know, from from those first posts. You know, I, I, it was actually funny when I started my blog. I didn't even tell my mom about it because I didn't want to explain what a blog was. So, <laughs> so I, my mom wasn't even reading my blog in the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I uh, I think I just told my wife. Like, uh, I I even went by PT. I didn't really share my real name back then because I wanted to, to actually talk about my finances in a kind of a more open way. And so uh, it, it would have been awkward, I think, had I, you know, my boss or my you know, some even some of my parents or, or my parents or some of my family have discovered it. I don't know. I, I, at the time, I didn't really want to expose my personal finances to other people. I wanted to talk about it, but just in an anonymous way. So. I didn't promote it hardly at all. But one of the things I really I discovered early on, or at least within the first year, was that I really liked interacting with the other bloggers. And I found some places online on social media that was starting up or on, on uh, some forums that were available out there. And even just in the comment section of their blogs, like I would just communicate with them. And those relationships was what I really felt like was something that you know was, was valuable for me. It was uh, something I just naturally enjoyed. Because they were the geeks like me who wanted to get online and talk about personal finance and blogging. Yeah, my and, girlfriend uh, at the time, whenever I was able to like talk to a personal finance nerd in person, someone like myself, she was like, go talk to them. Get it out of your system because I'm tired of hearing about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, that's exactly what it was for me. Yeah, my wife was tired of hearing it and um, I found these people online. So, that, was, that kind of became my networking strategy or my growth strategy was to uh, collaborate and cross-promote and sort of create these networks of people 
or be a part of these networks of people online who were talking about money and just kind of participate in that conversation. And blogs back then were far more social and interlinking and mm-hmm. just more collaborative in nature. Because so, Google wasn't penalizing you for linking to your friends. Right, exactly. <laughs> well, that that yeah. comes down the road a little bit. So, yeah. so you know, relationships is a great segue. So how did you... You know, I, I was a, a member of, of the group called the Yakezi, uh, which uh, was around the same time period, the biggest mm-hmm. online personal finance blogger network. But none of us had ever really met in person. I mean, there were a couple of small meetups. I went in San Francisco, I think, um, where, where Sam, the guy who put the, the network together, was located. But, you know, it wasn't until this crazy guy from Texas said, let's all go meet in Chicago that I jumped on a plane and did it. Uh, but how did you come up with that idea and, you know, go through taking the risk of you know, getting the hotel, planning it all, putting it all together, not knowing anyone was even going to show up? What was that whole experience like? How, what was the genesis of yeah. what was then the financial blogger conference? Uh, what was that like? Yeah. Yeah. So the genesis was certainly the fact that me and the, the, the positive things that I was experiencing through growth of that blog which that blog had become a significant source of income for us. And then in 2010, uh, it became a full-time job. So I left the corporate world and started blogging full-time. So three years after I started it, I was full-time blogger. And you know I contributed to those relationships and that networking and that collaboration a lot to that success. So at that time, as soon as I left, I was like, man, it'd be cool to now I'm sitting at home, like, you know, blogging full-time. Like I lost all my social life from my corporate you know, lifestyle. So it's like it became more important for me to reach out and meet, you know, fa- be face to face with more, uh, more of these bloggers. So about a year later, exactly, I think exactly a year later, after having gone to WordCamps and some other like internet marketing conferences like uh, Affiliate Summit and Blog World Expo, I just came back from some of those and, and had, and at those, at those had met some bloggers, some financial bloggers and, uh, just been inspired by those face to face meetings, even if just like one off opportunities to say, you know, it'd be really cool if we all got together for a big meetup. And so I think it was January of 2011. I was laying in bed at night talking to my wife about the idea. And it was one of those moments where, you know, I think she was just tired of hearing about it and said, just get up and go make the darn thing, you know? And so I got... <laughs> Little I got did up she out. know what she was I, uh, getting herself into. I know. I know. Uh, I, so I got up out of bed and went and bought the domain and built the website out and uh, probably spent way too much time. <laughs> but uh, just put it out there. I, I didn't have any event planning experience, you know, and we can get into the details of how I got people there and how I managed it all. But I just kind of took that moment to act, you know. I, I think having gone full time blogger and then not having a side hustle anymore kind of freed up my nights and weekends again, and said, "Okay, now what can I do with my? Where's my next side hustle?" You know. And so I think in a way, the conference idea was I considered it kind of a, a side hustle opportunity. And so, uh, so yeah, that was kind of the motivation behind it. Yes, I, I remember the time frame that you were, you know, publicizing it, getting the word out. Um, everyone in the KZ forums was talking about it, like, oh, who's going? Who's going to be there in person? Um, will we really all meet each other? That was what really inspired me to uh, to make the plunge. I, um, if if you, you know, I, I went back and uh, was talking to friends in the group. I was like, oh, I should share a hotel room because you know, a good thrifty college kid or just out of college kid. <laughs> I was thinking uh, I need to save a little money, and uh, my blog was making some money. But not um, not a ton of money, and I said to myself, if I can make enough money this year to pay for me to go to Chicago, I'm going to do it. 
And I did. So, so that's how I ended up there. And I shared a room with Shane from uh, Beating Broke. That's that website still out there. Haven't haven't seen Shane in person in a couple of years, but he's still out there chugging along. And um, and, I, and I took that risk. It was I was actually just thinking I'm headed to TBEX. It's essentially like the FinCon for travel blogging in mm-hmm. Huntsville, Alabama. I'm going to be a speaker in May. And I don't know, I know one person who's going to be at the entire conference. And um, that's actually someone I know, know from FinCon. So you know, this is the first time since that I've, I'm diving in and going somewhere. I just really don't know anybody and, and we'll see how it goes. But at the time, I remember being a little nervous. I, I got off the plane. I took the long ride out to, uh, to Schomburg and walked into a hotel just not knowing what to expect. <laughs> and, and little did I know that you know, some of these people would become some of my closest friends. So, yeah. uh, so it was, it was an amazing, but, you know, kind of surreal experience on the outside of it being like, well, should I, should I take the risk and show up at this conference? But I can say pretty confidently today that if I hadn't done that, I would be sitting in a gray cubicle today and not my, you know, home office, which is currently my kitchen, um, self-employed, <laughs> um, having not gone to an office in about a year. So, you know, yeah. so thank you, thank you for doing all that. But I wanted to share with everyone, you know, sometimes you have to take that risk. Yeah. Um, like, like BT had the idea. So let's, let's see who shows up. And, uh, and I took the risk and I was one of those people. And, and now years later, you know, they say the rest is history, but yeah. the whole point of this is to talk about the history. So how many people came to that first FinCon? Yeah, we had, uh, over 200, around 250 folks that came to the first one. And I had, I, you know, I thought maybe a hundred would show, but ended up about 250 at the end of the day. Yeah, we had some great uh, keynote speakers, you know, leaders in the personal finance blogging community. Um, you know, Pat Flynn likes to say that was his first time speaking on stage. Now he's headlined some of the biggest uh, conferences around the world. He even got to drive a DeLorean into one of them, which I thought was cool. And uh, JD Roth came out speaking Klingon. That was pretty cool. So, <laughs> so we had a uh, cool if you're a Star Trek fan. Um, but yeah, so, so the 250 people have, have come up to thousands, um, over the years. What was when you, after the conference, how did you decide what to do next? How did you decide what to do for year two, where to host it, uh, what you yeah. did right, what you did wrong? How did you learn from the first FinCon? That's a good question. Uh, it's been a while since I've thought about that. I, <laughs> I, I remember, uh, you know, putting it all down on paper and seeing kind of what I made. And I shared that online uh, in a blog post. You can read, go out there and read that on ptmoney.com. Mm-hmm. So the conference, I think I made about, at the end of the day, cash flowed about 10, 15 grand. So I was lucky not to lose money. I mean, that didn't account for my time spent on it at all. So, you know, Your it wasn't... Uh, earnings were like $4 yeah, an hour. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Weren't that great. But, um, you know, it, there was so much indirect value. I, I was not a fool to think that people were coming to the event to hear or see me. And I don't... And, and that's not me. I don't want to be that person. But so so I was I was focused on just trying to make an event that was... That I wanted to go to and participate in that's, that served up my heroes and you know, the people that I look to look up to and can learn from. And so... Um, I just tried to kind of keep that focus. So the first thing I did was I took a survey and said, what did you like? What did you didn't like? You know, don't like what, what do you want for next year? Where do you want to go? What time of year would be good? I mean, I asked tons of questions like that just to kind of capture that energy from the previous conference. I didn't sell tickets right away. I probably should have, but I kind of waited a while to do that and launch tickets. But you know, I just I just try to rely on the community. And I had done that leading up to the first conference. You know, I really surveyed them, really asked them what kind of sessions they wanted, uh, asked them, you know, whether they 
I don't know what dates worked. I remember we were we were talking about hotel, different hotels. So I got real granular with the attendees about you know what kind of product they eventually wanted. And so when I feel like when they got there, they were invested in it and they felt an ownership in it. And so I just try to keep that mentality going in. Like if I'm going to build something, I'm going to spend my year at a two dollar or four dollar an hour, whatever rate you said. <laughs> It, you know, it needs to be something where I'm adding a lot of value for these people, you know, because they're spending $1,000 essentially to come be a part of an event after you, you know, account for hotel and flight and the ticket. At least so, you can write it off. You can deduct it. That is true. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> if you've got income. But, uh, you know, I, uh, I, uh, I just tried to focus on them, you know, what they wanted, what they wanted. And, and you know, I iterated on some things. I wanted it to be more profitable. So I kind of refocused on the sponsorship side. I looked at my ticket sales and tried to. I think I added like a gradual ticket sale. So I started out at nine and a half bucks, but then it went up to a certain level. I also, uh, you know, did some different things with with sponsorships and exhibitors. So I kind of expanded the opportunities there where, where I needed some more help there. So you know, um, just like any good business owner, I looked at my balance sheet, income statement after the thing, and. Decided, you know, what was working, what wasn't working, and kind of what to change. That's awesome. So, you know, over the years, it's grown and expanded. How many people come to work at FinCon last year in San Diego? Yeah, we've had some good growth. Last year in San Diego, we had 1,250 folks. So, it's um, come along yeah. a thousand up from uh, I know, when we started. That's, that's pretty that's cool. Great. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. And it's, uh, you know, I, after that first year, I noticed that. At the first FinCon, there wasn't just financial bloggers there. There were quote unquote journalists, there were bigger media sites, there were entrepreneurship focused bloggers and sort of bloggers from different niches. There were podcasters there, YouTubers there, there were uh, financial professionals there who wanted to use blogging as kind of a marketing angle. So it was, it was kind of attracting a, a little broader scope of attendee. And so I saw that as an opportunity to ex- increase the scope of the event and broaden the conversation to be a really about digital marketing for financial influencers or anybody who's really doing any kind of digital storytelling or content creation in the financial and investing verticals. Is that how you came up with the idea to change the name from... I know Financial Blogger Conference is a mouthful. <laughs> how did you... Uh, was that yeah. part of what made it become FinCon? Yeah, that's exactly it. Uh, blogging uh, is a term for me that's... Uh, you know, was limiting the conference. Um, and so I, uh, I decided to kind of pull that out of the name and just go with FinCon. I, like you said, it kind of rolls off a little easier than the, the big one. And uh, it allowed for more people to kind of see it as a place for that would be a good fit for him, them, even though they weren't a blogger. So yeah, that was kind of part of my second year strategy as well. And also coming to one of the best cities in America, Denver. Right. So. Which um, <laughs> have you having picked Denver... I think was probably another just pivotal coincidence in my life. You know, we always look back and say, what, you know, there are so many different moments that if they hadn't worked out just the way they did, our life would look so different. You know, things like relationships and colleges and schools. And, and for me, I'm um, having FinCon in Denver the second year. I've always been the kind of guy who gets excited and involved in things. And uh, I was excited that FinCon was coming to my city that I'd lived in for at that point about 22, 23 years. And um, said, I, I wrote you an email and everyone, I said, PT, oh, I'm so excited you're coming to Denver. I'd love to help any way I can. And that ended up, you know, I helped um, look at some venues and stuff like that. But the biggest thing that that happened was 
I had been speaking at these Ignite events. Uh, they're mm-hmm. little, like TED Talks on speed, little five-minute talks. And I'd spoken at Ignite Denver, and I'd been in the audience at Ignite Boulder. And I spoke at Ignite Hanukkah, which is like a Jewish Ignite event um, they did in Boulder every year. And I said, hey, we should do this at FinCon. It would be so cool. And mm-hmm. uh, and you said yes. And and uh, one other one of those, the rest is history things. This year, we're going to have our sixth Ignite FinCon. And we've grown from an audience of you know, maybe 50 showing up to over 500 showing up. So we we have to get a lot bigger venues this year. But uh, you know, that helped you know put me on stage and, and make me more noteworthy to the rest of the FinCon community, which led to uh, things that led to things that led to, you know, freelance opportunities and website designs and, and now my full-time job. So again, you know, those opportunities and those risks, those are the things we have to jump on. I, I didn't know this was going to be a risk-themed uh, interview when, it, when I started. <laughs> but it's, that's uh, it's something that has been on my mind lately and it seems like we yeah. keep coming up. Sometimes you just got to go for it. You can't yeah. wait for an invitation. Yeah, well, you know, uh, doing this event was certainly risky. In the second year, it still felt risky. And so, I leaned heavily on the community that wanted to be there and to collaborate as much as possible. Well, the first year, we brought in the uh, Plutus Awards as kind of a collaborative thing. And then the second year, you had the great idea to bring Ignite there and do that. And it was fantastic. I and mean, it's led to only a better event. To, to be able to have that at our event now, so cool and makes it so unique. I mean, think of all the other conferences out there. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there other conferences. They, I'm sure there's some good ones, but you know, when it's all when it all comes down to one person planning something and one person bringing something to the table, it's just going to be naturally limited or uh, to. Uh, I, I don't know the. Fr- I don't. Know. Anyway, our event's awesome because it's collaborative and it's it's amazing what a bunch of people can bring to the table. Um, so I just try to allow as much as that as as I can at the event, and then thankfully people bring those ideas. And you brought that idea of ignite the first year, and then you ran with it, and you've made it amazing. And uh, thank you for doing that. Uh, and uh, that, that's uh, done nothing but you know increase the value uh, of the event and uh, and just made it a better experience for the attendees. So um, yeah, and there's other great you know, collaborative stuff. We have live podcasting that started mm-hmm. over the years that I've been. Lucky enough to be able to sit at the table and interview some friends. So, so listeners, you've heard heard podcasts recorded live there before. That that was another idea that just came from someone who was at FinCon said, "Hey, PT, can I do this?" So there's tons of ideas like that, and what, wherever you go to, whatever your niche is, obviously everyone listening isn't going to be in, in financial media and blogging. But let's say you're a travel blogger and and you're inspired, and you go to TBEX, you know. Say, say to the guys in charge, you know, what can I do to help? And I went to podcast movement last year. I actually shared a room with PT. We were uh, roommates and, and party buddies for the weekend. And mm-hmm. um, after the conference, I, I sent, I talked to the guys who ran it and I sent PT a note. I asked for their emails. Which he, he was happy to uh, introduce me and, and we're talking about potentially doing an event there this summer, nice. at, uh, which is in Anaheim, just down the road for me at podcast movement. So, uh, you know, always to be willing to try things. Because the worst thing that happens is you'll try and fail and move on. You know, the best thing that happens is you, you never know. It could change your life. You could end up, uh, you know, living living on the beach in California, working online. That that's what happened to me. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you've been able to meet some you know, really cool media personalities because of your position as the organizer of FinCon. What's it like? You're reaching out to these big names. We just there was just an announcement that Darren Rouse, the uh, the pro blogger, uh, is coming to be a keynoter at FinCon this year, all the way from Australia. 
what is it like, you know, reaching out to people like that, building these relationships and, and building this community that keeps coming together every year? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's, uh, it's a humbling uh, position to be in, to be, to be able to uh, make some of those decisions for our community. And so, uh, you know, I, I'm honored to be able to do it and I try to uh, treat the process appropriately, knowing that, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to bring someone in that is uh, going to hopefully bring them, not just because I'm a fanboy and I am a fanboy and <laughs> pro blogger and I kept coming up, like I learned a ton from him. And I read his a, book when, in year one of blogging and it was pivotal. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So totally. I mean, yeah, I followed him immensely. So he, he's a total hero and I'm going to be totally fanboying while I'm there, I'm sure. But at the end of the day, I'm trying to bring value to our event, you know, for our, our attendees and make it work, uh, make it fresh. You know, mm-hmm. I don't want an event that, feels stale from year to year. You feel like you're kind of coming and seeing the same speakers. And so, I do try to reach out to, you know, folks. And I was able to make that connection through a, a prior uh, keynote speaker of ours, Chris Ducker. He was actually able to make that connection for me. And uh, and actually, Darren, I think, saw the event on on Instagram or on some social media channel and kind of reached out. I was like, hey, this event looks cool. I might want to participate in the future. And so, Chris Ducker helped make that connection. And then we found, you know, what was valuable for for uh, Darren, you know, to come here and what would make it worth his time to come here and be a part of it and uh, bring value for our attendees. And uh, yeah, I just try to see myself, I guess, as, as an advocate for the attendee and uh, trying to trying to get those you know folks in. So yeah, it, it's the event, having the event, being someone who brings 1,500 people together every year now is uh, does put me in a position to where, you know, a lot of people want to be on that stage. And uh uh, I want to I want to do a service to the attendees by putting someone on that stage who is who has earned it by their own merits and who who I'm saying I'm not making a king by putting this person up there or queen by putting this person up there I'm only presenting a king or queen someone who's out there doing something really valuable and helping a lot of people already and and uh you know I'm merely just presenting what they're already doing you know that's kind of how I see my role and it's been, you know, even someone like me who's been very you know, involved in participating, I've met some people who've been really inspiring to me and have helped me do some cool things, even though they probably didn't realize it. Like uh, Grant Baldwin came and spoke a few years ago. I saw him in a small session, and then he got up on the big stage to keynote the next year. But when I saw him in the small session, he actually made a big impact on me and started me down this path where now I'm doing some speaking and listen to his podcast. And uh, like Jeff Goins, um, he came and and a similar story got up big on the stage, a guy who made it himself and inspired me to do more in writing. And I was actually like halfway through his book about finding a job you love when I quit my job. So, so all these people have been very influential on me. And, and again, because of this conference, I, I was able to connect with them. And also because FinCon was my first conference, you know, I, I had a really high bar for what I wanted from other conferences. So. You know, I'm not always uh, blown away by the other ones, but it's cool when you get to go to other conferences and see some of the same people because we're kind of loosely doing the same things. Like I, I went to World Domination Summit when I lived in Portland and uh, Darren was actually one of the speakers and I got to sit and have a beer with him one night. So uh, nice. And, and now I'm going to get to see him again. So you never know where paths will cross with people. And, uh, and it's very cool when we all get to come together. Um, so yeah, one, I, I agree. Yep. Yeah. So one other big change you made this year so far, it's been you and some staff and some volunteers this year uh, for the first time ever, you hired a full-time person to administrate and help run FinCon. 
What was the experience like? And I know um, for those who don't know her, Jessica is the the new full-timer um, at FinCon and the only full-timer technically, I, I believe. So what was it like going through the decision process to hire a full-time person to work for you and help you grow this? Yeah. So Jessica's been with me from the start of FinCon. About the summer of 2011, I reached out to her and brought her in as a, and as a virtual assistant for actually PT Money. But then I realized I had a lot more work to do with FinCon. So she started helping me out with that as well. She's been you know, doing probably between 10 and 25 hours a week since that point with me on a part-time basis, working on both businesses. And then this past year, it just so happened with her employment situation that it just needed she needed to have something more full time. And so I did not want to let her go somewhere else. And I certainly <laughs> could have could use her uh with the business growing. So yeah, I hired Jessica at the beginning of the year and I'm actually hiring Libby, who is our creative creative person full time starting in March. So make making two hires here. But to answer your question, it was it's scary to go from a solopreneur to like an entrepreneur with an employee. Like I'm mm-hmm. I'm nervous about it. But, um, you know, these are people who I've worked with for now three, four or five years and uh, I'm really comfortable with them. So it's not like I had to vet them or get comfortable with their work. I know what they can do and I know the value they bring to the organization. So for me, it's about become a better leader. You know, so that to me is a scary part. I'm naturally, I'm naturally solopreneur. I'm naturally do it, do it, do everything kind of guy. And I built it. I feel like I've had success because I'm good at that. Right. So now I've got to figure out how to have success by doing something else, which is leading versus versus doing it all myself. So one thing that has been easy though, I, I feel like, is that I started the business of FinCon without really no understanding the event industry. And so it was a lot easier for me to hire Jessica to do some of that work and then continue outsourcing a lot of that work because I just didn't know events necessarily. Whereas with blogging, I kind of came up myself over a three-year period doing that before I took it full-time. So I think there's a lesson there in that yeah, it's almost easier for a startup who's right out, right out of the gate and may, maybe not understands the, all the ramifications of the business to hire people versus someone who's totally bootstrapped and slowly builds something. So if you're that bootstrapper type like I am, just be aware of that. Like the harder, the the more you're doing along the way, the more things you're pulling off the shelf and doing yourself, the harder it will be to give up all that stuff as you go along. So I don't know. Maybe there's a lesson there to to try to give up some of that stuff sooner. I don't know. Yeah, I've I've struggled. You know, I, I'm also one of those figure out everything myself guys, and um, I, that's been actually instrumental in me being able to go full time because I at the point I left my job, I wasn't making enough alone from writing to make that my full-time job. And I was always stubborn and wanted to figure out how to build my websites myself and learn CSS and HTML and PHP and, and a little bit of Python along the way. So that put me in a position that I was able to you know, do more things for hire that I would not have been able to do had I not been so stubborn. But now that I've reached kind of a, a tipping point, I am hiring out more and more to assistance. Mm-hmm. I actually have an editor who um, helps with this podcast and another virtual assistant who helps with show notes for the podcast. So I still do a lot myself and I've experimented you know, outsourcing graphics and, and all sorts of things. And I'm sure I'll do more outsourcing in the future. But um, you, know, you, your hours don't scale. We only get 24 hours a day. And assuming you need to sleep you know, about eight of them, that gives you 16 hours a day to be awake 
And assuming you have either a family or a hobby or some other responsibilities, you know, that gives you so many work hours and um, stretching as many dollars as we can from those work hours can be tough. But if we have someone else's work hours also, that can lead to even more success. And that's, and that was part of something I realized when I left my job. I was like, I, I did things that made, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars for really, really big companies. And that was a really cool thing to be a part of. But wouldn't I rather make, a hundred thousand for myself than a hundred million for someone else. Heck yeah! So, so that's been um, yeah. you know, a big mental shift in thinking about things. You know, I used to think about my annual salary and all these. Now I'm looking at my monthly income because it's irregular. You know, there's all these changes that happen. But uh, something I realize is, you know, your hours don't scale. Uh, you need people to help you scale. So I'm, I'm wishing you very, very. You know, we, we've had a, an amazing journey so far, and, and I'm sure there's more amazingness ahead with your growing team uh, behind FinCon. It's it's really exciting. Yeah, well, thanks, man. And we're planning for it. You know, I mean, I looked at my budget this year, and the budget includes increases in revenue that account for those new salaries. So I'm not taking it lightly. I'm going at it full on. Heads, you know, we're going to make more money this year because they're there. So that's my goal. And I would think anyone in a position to hire someone should have a similar approach, you know. Okay. So we'll see. Jury's out, but we'll, <laughs> we'll, fi- we'll find out this fall in Dallas. Yeah. So uh yeah. so if anyone wants to come to FinCon, where should they go to learn more about the conference? Yeah, come to finconexpo.com and you can read about the event, what all happens there, see some of the speakers that we'll be featuring this year. You mentioned pro blogger Darren Rouse. Uh lots of those types who are kind of big in digital media will also have some big influencers in the financial space that show up. Um, People like names. Noah Kagan shows up. He's a fun guy. Uh, he's, yeah. he's a keynoter last year who loves tacos and <laughs> making money. Um, we, we, there's been some awesome great names that keep coming back again and again. Yeah, we, we have some lucky to have some repeat uh, speakers. Well, like I said, I always try to keep it fresh though, fresh topics. So anything, 80% of our content is probably digital marketing uh, and business related. And the rest is straight up personal finance and investing. Awesome. If people want to connect with you, the person, and learn more about PT Money and your blog, where should they head? Yeah, go to ptmoney.com or hit me up on Twitter at ptmoney. You can always email me as well if you have a question, pt at ptmoney.com. That's awesome. I feel like I need to like come up with one of those every single list, uh, guest has to answer some random question at the end. Like, <laughs> like if you had to be any animal, what would you describe yourself as? You know, like some crazy, <laughs> silly job interview question, but I haven't come up with one yet. So, Instead of asking you some silly question, I'm just going to say thank you for, for being here and sharing your story. Oh, man. My pleasure, Eric. And it's, um, it's always fun to hang out and chat with you, PT. And uh, to all the listeners out there, thank you for sticking around and listening to the end. I hope you were able to learn a lot. Maybe we'll even catch you at the next FinCon. You can, uh, well, he sounds like, you know, like, oh, man, that's, that's the PT. He's actually a really nice guy and would love to meet, I'm sure, everyone who, who walks in the conference, at least to say hello. So definitely say hello to him and, and me if you, if you come to FinCon. But either way, thank you for listening to the end. I hope you learned something valuable and useful on this podcast that you can use to help improve your personal finances and entrepreneurial journey. If you enjoyed what you heard, please stop by iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you listen to podcasts and drop a rating. If I didn't earn five stars, shoot me an email, eric at ericrosenberg.com and let me know what I can do to, to be more useful for you. And uh, and always also please share it with a friend if you learned something because I don't do any marketing and word of mouth is all I've got so so you are my marketing team listeners and and I'd appreciate it if you shared it with just one friend you know it takes like five seconds so thank you so much PT for being a part of it thank you listeners for sticking around till the end and until next time stay profitable.
Thanks for listening to the Personal Profitability Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating on iTunes or share it with a friend.